Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a very warm day in a rather deserted Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and today I'm joined by Gabriel Dumaka. Gabriel is the director of Rising Stars Nursery and Daycare based in London. Gabriel, welcome. Great to have you on the programme with us today. Thank you, Scott. Now, um, this podcast, first and foremost, uh, Gabriel, is all about leadership and effective leadership at that. But what does that word leader actually mean to you? Thank you, Scott. Uh, Please permit me to seize this opportunity to thank all those who are putting their lives at risk in helping us fight this uh, coronavirus, as well as our parents who are doing a great job in engaging our children at these challenging times. Also, I use our Prime Minister as a point of contact as our thoughts and prayers go to those who are affected and those who have lost their dearly beloved ones to this pandemic. And to your question, the discussion on leadership couldn't have come at a better time than now that the world is faced with uh, this coronavirus pandemic. And so for me, the word leader means someone who provides direction and exercises influence over a group of people. In other words, he's a visionary who is able to motivate and inspire people to engage with that vision. In addition, he is a person who is able to think creatively, have a problem-solving approach to difficulties, and is able to work in partnership with others. Uh, this is my thinking. And um, it's really interesting, uh, this um, approach to leadership. Um, You mentioned, of course, uh, the government and you mentioned the Prime Minister, uh, Boris Johnson. Um, Of course, there's been a lot of support for the uh, the government's um, approach, but there's also been um, a lot of criticism of that as well, because there have been some contrasting approaches to this outbreak. Um, Here in the UK, we've, um, of course, introduced some more stringent measures in recent weeks, but in many ways, we were just sort of waiting to see what happens and taking a much more passive approach, as opposed to countries um, like China, for example, where Xi Jinping put the country on lockdown quite quickly. Um, If we take that away from times of crisis and away from from politics, Gabriel, um, when you're addressing difficulties in an everyday context as a leader within your line of work early years, do you prefer to dive in and get on top of difficulties quickly? Or do you prefer to sit back, let things play out and then take action from there after seeing how matters develop? As a leader, I would, within reason, uh, wait and let things play out and see how things develop from before taking action. There's emphasis on within reason here because critical situations will demand review of approach. However, the reason I will adopt this approach is to avoid chaos by rushing into action without getting the full picture. And this will be my approach. And do you think the approach that um, the UK government um, has taken to the crisis has been uh, the right one? Because as I touched on before, there has been a lot of criticism in some quarters, but also a lot of support. I think it is fair to say, in the light of the challenge uh, we are faced by this uh, uh, pandemic, that the government has continued to do its best to contain as well as minimize the spread of this deadly virus. The approach has been calm, calculated, and collaborative. And I'm very proud of our leadership in this country. About the criticisms the government 
to the government's approach, that the people of this country have been very reasonable, I must say. Don't forget that the world has never seen a pandemic in this magnitude, and the criticism can only serve as checks and balances that continually challenge our leadership to aggressively tackle the spread of this deadly virus as well as find a cure. Absolutely. And given that there is so much criticism of um, leadership um, as well, do you think that leadership is as celebrated as much as it should be in this country and given the credit that it deserves? Well, an ideal situation would be where leadership is celebrated as much as it should in this country. However, if you ask anyone in a leadership position, they will tell you that your priority as a leader is not to try and create popularity for yourself. In other words, it's the policies you pursue as well as your other attributes such as being able to inspire others, having a great vision, a clear vision, thinking creatively, having a problem-solving approach to difficulties among other things. That is what makes a great leader. And so I think in this country, leadership is celebrated and not worshipped. And I'm, 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 uh, the country, or the people of this country are great, you know, in, in the way they, they, they criticize, but it's very con- constructive in that they, you know, the um, they, they, they criticisms are within reason. That's what I think. Mm. certainly see where you're coming from uh, there Gabriel um, did you always imagine that you um, would become a leader one day and embrace the challenges of leadership and the challenges of this crisis yourself as well um, that's called, I think in my own case I am exceptionally lucky with my upbringing as a child and growing up I have been uh, greatly impacted by men, uh, mentors that have positive influence on my life as such, I have always desired a leadership opportunity where other people can benefit from my own attributes and skills. And so in my leadership position in early years education, I am armed with the knowledge that I represent the sector where the foundation of tomorrow's great minds and leaders are being developed and nourished. So my core responsibility becomes to work with my team to achieve the goals set by the Department of Education, the in the statutory framework for early years foundation stage. And this is what sets out the standard for learning, development, and care of children from birth to five. And in challenging times such as these, we are also guided by the directives of the government uh, government across the uh, board. So this is, uh, this, is, this is me, and this is how... Um, um, I will approach things, and uh, as I said, I am um, I'm lucky. Uh, I had a very good upbringing, which gave me a, found, a good foundation to be able to deal with issues and challenges arising uh, in my position. It's really interesting. You talk about um, your upbringing there as being um, an influence on your uh, leadership approach. Um, are there any specific um, individuals or experiences that may have also had an influence on your approach to leadership as well? Well, quite a good number of them. Um, but I'll take uh, um, one from uh, when I was a young adult. One individual among the few that influenced my own leadership approach is Nelson Mandela of South Africa. He was a great visionary, selfless, positive, and well-focused on goals, 
and he has a mission beyond himself. And this is very vital in any leadership position, especially in early years education, because these children that we are supporting their learning, uh, the learning and development now, they are our tomorrow's leader. They are the, the hope of this country. So it is very, very important that uh, we um, lay a very good uh, foundation by supporting um, you know, early learning in the manner that we are doing now. Certainly a lot to uh, to ponder there. Um, you're quite right uh, in saying that, Gabriel, but also a sterling example there mentioned um, in Nelson Mandela as well. Um, I am conscious of uh, running out of time, but before we do wrap things up, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next year will hold for yourself, for Rising Stars, and what you really hope to achieve in that time, particularly through COVID-19 and coming out of the other side. Yes, the next 12 months post-COVID-19 is very exciting because Rising Stars Nursery and Daycare launched their nursery scholarship scheme in February, which was well attended by parents and carers in our community and other dignitaries, including our local two local MPs in our borough. The idea of the scholarship scheme is to supplement government-funded hours to families in order to give more children the opportunity to access early years education. We are presently liaising with early years education in our borough to work out the logistics of the scholarship. The vision is very huge, and we are already getting inquiries from other boroughs. Once this is ready, we intend to roll it out to as many children as possible in this country. And that's exactly what is keeping us uh, busy and excited, hoping that this uh, issue of coronavirus will quickly get behind us and uh, we get spring into action. It certainly sounds as if the uh, the future um, is bright, despite all of the uncertainty. And let's hope that that really does come to fruition over the next few months as we navigate this um, outbreak. Um, Gabriel, I have to say, it's been an absolute pleasure having you um, on the programme. And it would be get great to see just how these hopes are borne out over the next few months. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me today. Thank you, Scott. It's been fantastic. Uh, coming up next on the programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. As well as scoring over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, Sir Jeff remains the only man to this day to score a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley 54 years ago. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Sir Jeff, and that is coming up now. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times but when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was 
lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. 
Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with Seven Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't 
a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. 
<laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we... That you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh if that put, day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps... Uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. 
he's the best example of management I think we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today yes I think so I think yes no, hmm. no question at all I think they uh, Ron Greenwood yeah well, the, the answer is straightforward the answer is yes um, good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'm... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great and players. You... We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, Um, thinking about that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, 
but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.